Good morning, everyone. I finally got one. Of course, we all know by now that uh, David and, and Kelly and uh, Anna are deep south Texas right now. We rejoice with them in the birth of Lucas and to know that all is well with, with the family and uh, we certainly rejoice with them and pray for their safe return in due time. Well, I ain't no David, but I'm going to try my best this morning to uh, fill in for him. Uh, I don't know if this would fall within the category of great minds run on the same track or not, but uh, it so happens that uh, my lesson this morning is exactly on the front page of the bulletin. Text is going to be Ephesians chapter 2, the first 13 verses about salvation. And uh, he didn't know what I was going to preach. I didn't know what he was going to write. So uh, literally, we're on the same page this morning. So be turning, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 2. And in a few moments, we'll be reading the first 13 verses. But I want to uh, phrase the lesson this morning in, in terms of uh, the concept of salvation. Uh, it's a concept that is very well known in society and the world today and always has, but mainly in the physical sense. We talk about uh, someone being saved from drowning when they fall out of the boat. We talk in terms of someone being saved from the fire when their house catches on fire and somebody pulls the people out. And so it's physical life that we're talking about saving here. And in general, salvation is saving a person's life from danger or death. And usually when you talk about salvation in the world today, most people will understand it in this sense, in the physical sense. But of course, to believers in God and Jesus Christ and his holy word, we see a deeper sense in the concept of salvation. We're talking about spiritual salvation. And so I'm hoping that uh, these thoughts in the bulletin and that I'll be sharing with you for Christians this morning will serve as an encouragement uh, to greater appreciate the great salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. And for those who have not obeyed the gospel, if you're with us this morning, the hope is that you will see in this the need to obey the gospel and receive that salvation. So we're talking about spiritual salvation, and the Bible speaks of it in that way. The Bible speaks of salvation from sin. That's what spiritual salvation is. And the stakes are much higher in this sense than the physical salvation because it involves eternal life or eternal death. Our souls may be lost eternally. And so we need 
we must have salvation from sin. And I suppose one of the best descriptions uh, in very simple terms of salvation from sin is found in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 13. We will break it down in just a moment, but follow along with me if you want, or just listen as I read from God's Word. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 13. And the Bible says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us all together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That is salvation. I'm going to break down this text, this description of salvation from sin, into three aspects. First of all, we'll look at man's sin as addressed in this text. Second, we will look at God's grace. And then thirdly, we will consider man's obedience. But first of all, let's consider what this text says about man's sin. It's found in the first three verses and also verses 11 through 12. Just to read it again, verses 1 through 3. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the counsel or course of this world, according to the prince of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, 
fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. And then dropping down to verses 11 and 12. Therefore remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's man's sin. Dead in trespasses and sin in verse 1. What is sin? We all know what the definition of sin is. It is missing the mark. It is trespassing. It is stepping over God's will and God's command. And the idea of dead here, of course, is spiritual death, which is the result of sin. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 59 verse 2, familiar with us all, but your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. That's what being dead in sin means. And then the context of sin in verses 2 through 3. What is it? What is the idea of sin, being dead in sin? Well, in verse 2, it tells us that it is living like the world lives. That's sin. Living like the world lives. Look at the world around us. What's going on in our world today? What do you see on TV? What do you read in the papers? What do you constantly see? in the headlines in your smartphone when you're looking through the headlines. It is living in sin. So what is sin? It is living like the world lives. God forbid that we get caught up in that trap. Remember, we are the children of God, those of us who have obeyed the gospel, we have been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom in, of his dear son. We have been sanctified. We've been set apart from the world to be children of God. But that's what sin is. It is simply living like the world lives. And then in verse 2 also is the idea that sin is living like Satan wants, doing whatever we want, whether in the flesh or even in the mind, it says in verse 3. That is sin. And of course, the end result of sin, verses 11 through 12 is that we are hopelessly lost eternally. That's the end result. We're here on this earth for a brief moment of time. It's like a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Here you have it, and now it's gone. We're familiar with that. We know the reality of death. 
because we all face it. We've all experienced it with our loved ones and friends. But right now is our time to realize what God's Word says about salvation from sin. Now is our time to realize what sin is. Now is the time to realize the end of sin, where it leads to the end result, and to do something about it before our brief time is gone, of which we don't know when that will be. Either Christ will come again in our lifetime, or we will meet Him in the air at His second coming. So that is man's sin from the context of Ephesians 2. Not a pretty picture. It is eternal damnation. But then we continue and we look at the second aspect, and that is God's grace. That's found in verses 4 through 13 of the text that we just read. The text says in verses 4 through 5, and also repeated in verse 8, that by grace are we saved from sin. And we're all familiar with the definition of grace as is commonly given. It is unmerited favor. It is giving something which is not deserved. I love to greet our brother Nathan, ask him how he is, better than I deserve. How true it is. We don't deserve God's grace. We don't deserve salvation. But that's what God's grace is. It is the giving of salvation that is unmerited, that is undeserved. We know that God is the giver in verses 4 through 5 of our text. God is the giver. And then in verse 8 of the text, we know that salvation is the gift. So when we're talking about the grace of God, we're talking about a gift of God that He extends to us. We do not deserve and we cannot earn salvation. Verses 5 and verse 8 through 9, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And then verses 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So it's by God's grace, and only by God's grace, that we have the gift of salvation. But then in verse 7, we understand that God's gift of salvation is in Christ. That's a great concept. If you haven't already done a personal study of that or read lessons from others on the idea, the concept of in Christ, it is fulfilling to, to read and understand and get a deeper meaning of that. 
especially the Apostle Paul is so fond of using this term throughout his epistles. And one of the illustrations that I sometimes use is simply to list on one side uh, where we are outside of Christ. And we've just read some of that without hope, without God in the world. And then on the other side, list all the scriptures that talks about the blessings in Christ. And there is salvation, there is redemption, there is hope. All of these in Christ. And then down at the bottom, there is an arrow connecting the left-hand side of out of Christ to into Christ and how that happens. And of course, we know that is baptism. But it's a gift. God's gift was Christ on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. Everyone can recite John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus' blood, of course, is the blood of the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 26 and verse 28, Jesus says as He institutes the Lord's Supper and He takes the fruit of the vine, He says, For this is My blood of the New Covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And that blood was shed on the cross. In John 19, verse 34, is the instance of when one of the soldiers pierced the side of Jesus with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. And so it's the blood of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ, His blood shed on the cross that God accepted as payment for our sins. And then in verse 13 of the text, again, but now in Christ, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so God's gift of salvation is in Christ, and that is by the gift or the grace of God. So we've looked at man's sin in this text. We've looked at God's grace in this text. So thirdly, let's look at what the text says about man's obedience and how that connects with man's sin and God's grace. God placed the gift of salvation, as we have already mentioned, in Christ. The free gift of salvation from God is for everyone. God so loved the entire world. Go preach the gospel to all creation. God sent His Son to die for all men, but it doesn't mean necessarily that everyone will receive it. It has to be received. And we've all heard the example that illustrates this fact. If I tell you that I have a $100 bill lying on my kitchen table at home and I'm giving it to you, it's yours. You don't have to do anything for it. You can't do anything for it. I'm giving it to you. It is yours. It has your name on it. 
and it's on the table in my kitchen. Of course, that doesn't mean that just stating that, you're going to have that $100 in your hand. Not until you drive to my house, you get out of the car, you walk up the steps, you open the door, and you enter my house, and you go to the table, and you reach down and pick up that $100 bill. Is it yours? It was yours all along. But unless you did these conditions, met these conditions to receive it, it's of no benefit to you. Man will not receive the benefits of the free gift of salvation without doing what is required to get into Christ. And this is the area that so many well-meaning people, believers in God and Jesus and his word in the world, who try to repent of their sins, who openly confess before others their belief that Jesus is the Son of God, but they throw on the brakes right before getting to baptism. And that's also in the same basket with all the other conditions. Baptism. You have to do what is required to get into Christ. And so we know that Literally, there are only two scriptures in all of God's Word that tells how one gets into Christ. The first one's in Galatians 3.27. Galatians 3.27, which says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And so it's being baptized into Christ. Romans 6, verses 2 through 4. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And so these are the only two scriptures that tell how one actually makes that transition from the left-hand column of what all is without Christ or outside of Christ to the column on the right that lists everything that is in Christ. Only two scriptures. And both of them says we are baptized into Christ. And so all examples of people being baptized in Acts indicate that they were penitent believers. Acts 2.38 that we're familiar with, when they asked men and brethren, what must we do? And Paul didn't, or Peter didn't tell them, well, you've got to believe. You've got... It was evident they already believed, so he just picked up and he says, you must be Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins in Jesus' name. So one who is baptized who does not believe or who does not repent only gets wet. For penitent believers who repent of their sins, baptism puts them into Christ wherein is salvation. 
Sinful man receives the free gift of salvation by believing, by repenting, by confessing Christ's name, and being baptized. So the scriptures indicate that all of these are conditions to being saved, but the Bible doesn't say that we believe into Christ. It doesn't say that we repent into Christ. It doesn't say that we confess into Christ. All of those are required. You can't be saved without it. But only does the Bible say that we are baptized into Christ. That completes man's obedience and then to live faithfully thereafter. And so that is man's obedience. Man's sin in the world without hope, without God. God's grace in giving His Son on the cross and shedding that blood, the payment for our sins that God accepted for all time. And then obeying the gospel, doing that which God says is necessary in order to receive the free gift of salvation that I am giving you. So that is man seeing God's grace and man's obedience. So at this point, as we close out these thoughts, what happens when one is saved? We've already looked at Acts 2.38, in which we are told that one is baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission or the forgiveness of sins. So what happens when one is saved? He is forgiven. This is salvation. This is spiritual salvation. He is forgiven of his sins. So there is forgiveness of sin that happens when one obeys the gospel. Another thing in verse 38 of Acts chapter 2 that is received simultaneously with the forgiveness of sins in baptism is that one receives the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then thirdly, simultaneously with being forgiven, receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, in verse 47 of Acts 2, the Lord was adding to the church daily such as were being saved. And so those three things happen when one is saved. You're forgiven. You receive God's Holy Spirit. And the Lord adds you to his church. And so I don't know where you are this morning. If you are a Christian, praise God for these words from Ephesians chapter 2. Because it's ours to cherish and to remind ourselves of what we have in Christ. That great salvation, as the Hebrews writer describes it. We know who we are. We know why we're here. We know where we're going. And we're ready. We're ready should Christ come tonight. We're ready because we're in Christ. Are you in Christ? Where are you this morning? If you are here and you believe and you are trying to repent and turn from your sins and live right, if you would freely confess before men that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but you have not been baptized into Christ, 
you're still in that left-hand column. And only by completing your obedience by being baptized into Christ will you make the transition across into the right column, wherein is salvation. If you're subject to the gospel this morning, the song that's been selected is by means of, by way of encouraging you to respond. If you're subject to the invitation of the gospel this morning, we urge you to come as we stand and sing.